Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. My name is Joseph Amari, and I am an attorney at SATC Law. I'll be your host. You can find the Bridging Chicago podcast at our website, www.bridgingchicago.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I am very grateful to have with me Dave Thomas, Director of the Flexible Housing Pool at the Center of Housing and Health. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, Dave, uh, are you a Chicago resident originally? Yep, uh, born in Chicago, but in and out of the suburbs in the city um, and uh, uh, throughout my adult life. Yep. Oh, okay, what suburb are you from? Uh, right now, I live in Clarendon Hills, Illinois. Oh, okay. I grew up in Darien, <laughs> right down the street. Very close, very close. And did you stay around for... Uh, for college and education? Yeah, my uh, I did my undergrad at the uh, University of St. Francis in Joliet. I did my, I got my master's at Aurora University out in Aurora. Okay, what did you study for your master's? Uh, my master's was in social work. Social work, okay. And so how did you get involved with Flexible Housing Pool? So I've been involved in housing and homelessness for well over 20 years, um, did my internship uh, at a homeless shelter in Joliet, um, and then worked in various aspects of, of the, the sector. Um, but the last 20 plus years, I've been either running uh, programs for homeless folks um, or doing systems level work uh, to end homelessness in Chicago. And uh, a little over a year and a half ago, I saw this uh, position posted at the Center for Housing and Health. and. Um, for the director of the flexible housing pool and felt it was sort of my calling uh, after all this time. It seemed like the, the perfect uh, job for me because I uh, a lot of my work had been around uh, homeless programs that work with people who not are only experiencing homelessness, but also have chronic uh, illnesses or disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so this program sort of meshed all that together. Okay. And going back a bit, what got you initially involved with volunteering and spending your time with uh, homeless individuals? I, th- I grew up um, in a pretty devout Catholic family and uh, always uh, having service to others was really important to uh, my parents and, and instilling that uh, in all of us kids and um, just wanting to be someone who always helped uh, folks who may have been a little bit less fortunate or just needed some uh, assistance along the way seemed sort of uh, integral to who I am. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, the work just moving into social work, I thought about a lot of different things, um, but uh, coming back to homelessness and housing just seemed like my passion and uh, uh, something that I just felt like I was uh, called to do in a sense. Okay. Yeah, that's incredible work. It's a very important resource for our community to help those, like you said, that are in need of help. And so what was the, what was the step in terms of career? Did you start as a social worker? Yep. Started as a social worker, um, got my master's uh, in social work um, uh, many moons ago, uh, about 30 years ago, uh, did a lot of uh, work in um, uh, different nonprofits and uh, even worked in schools for a short time. And then um, about 20, 22 years ago, uh, really got into nonprofit work, um, working with the agency out in Joliet called Agape Missions. And they served folks living with HIV, but also my specific role was to help 
folks impacted with HIV, but who are also uh, housing insecure, either mm -hmm. at risk for homelessness or experiencing homelessness. And my role's my role was to connect them to various programs uh, throughout the community. And that just felt like the kind of the start of my real deep connection with the homeless. Uh, Absolutely. Community. And so Flexible Housing Pool is a relatively new program in the city. Is that correct? Correct. It uh, began in 2019. And what is its affiliation with the Center for Housing and Health? So the, just for context, the Center for Housing and Health is a supporting organization of the AIDS Foundation Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, the AIDS Foundation has been around for about 35 years, and the center um, was sort of an offshoot around 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and the center started as, um, as the AIDS Foundation began to uh, incorporate more housing programs into their programming portfolio. The housing uh, programs became pretty... Um, one of the biggest parts of the AIDS Foundation. And so um, along with that, there was a study that was done about 15 years ago, 15 years ago called the Chicago Housing for Health Partnership or CHIP. And uh, it was a, a randomized trial and it, it kind of showed that if you give people, home, people experiencing homelessness with chronic illnesses and you provide them with supportive housing, so the affordable housing and um, services, they were less likely to return to um, hospital stays. They were less likely to um, go to nursing homes. And for folks who are HIV positive, it actually showed uh, a decrease in uh, their viral loads and um, increased health. And so um, out of that study and out of the growing housing portfolio with the AIDS Foundation, the Center for Housing and Health was born. And uh, the center just focuses on housing programs and especially housing programs with a connection with the healthcare system. Um, and so the flexible housing pool is the largest program with the center. Um, and uh, um, we have other programs, uh, non-housing programs in the center, but the flexible housing pool uh, by far is the biggest program of the Center for Housing and Health. So you mentioned that most of the individuals with uh, seeking help from the flexible housing pool are housing insecure. What, what kind of, what is uh, housing insecure for our listeners? What, what type of uh, situations do those people find themselves in? Sure. For, for the majority of folks in our program, they are folks who may have been housed, um, but lost their housing because of a chronic health condition. And they just, they lost their job. They couldn't afford to pay their bills and ended up in a shelter or sometimes literally on the streets or sure. living out of their car. Um, for other folks um, who are housing insecure, it may just be that um, they fell behind a month or two in rent and need support getting um, that, that financial assistance to get caught up. Um, so it, it covers a kind of a range of folks. Um, the FHP specifically works with folks who have lost their housing and who may be doubled up. So they don't have their own lease in their own name. Um, they may be living with somebody who is fortunate to let them stay there for the night or a week, but then may ask them to leave and they don't have another fixed income or fixed uh, uh, apartment to go to. And so we work a lot, the flexible housing pool works a lot with those folks experiencing literal homelessness. Okay. And what kind of services does FHP provide for them? 
So FHP provides a multitude of services for folks, um, all the way from outreach to literally finding uh, the folks who've been referred to us. Um, so we have the outreach teams that go out into the community to find the folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have landlord engagement, um, which is a team of uh Uh, folks on staff here who just build relationships with landlords out in the Chicago and and suburban Cook uh, areas to engage them into the flexible housing pool and rent to us or to the clients that we serve. Mm -hmm. Um, We have house placement services. So we have a whole team that tries to match um, individuals who uh, express their preferences or areas they want to stay away from. And so they're matched to um, one of our landlords in the pool. And then once they're um, in, in an apartment, they receive case management services, and that case management service um, is pretty much their their biggest um, ally. Um, they're seeing the clients maybe once a week, maybe every other week, calling them, texting them, staying in contact with them to ensure that they're you know remaining housed, if they have any issues in their housing. Um, they're also there to connect folks to um, healthcare um, if they haven't had any regular um, primary care physician set up for them, the case managers help with that. And then uh, another important service that they get is um, through the health insurance plans, they have what we call care coordinators. Mm-hmm. So that's another team based out of the hospitals or the insurance plans where they provide care coordinators to our, our uh, clients. And their sole job is to kind of help them get to appointments, help them identify um, the uh, medical services that they may need. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty wraparound, robust package of services that uh, folks get once they come into the flexible housing pool. Absolutely. I'm sure they're very grateful for that kind of support within the community. Now, you had mentioned that this is a program that's funded within the healthcare realm. Yes. um, The flexible housing pool we're really proud of um, is a uniquely uh, innovative program uh, here in Chicago. It's the only program of its kind, and it's actually one of... uh, maybe about five, six or seven programs in the whole country that are funded with the model that we have. It's Mm a partnership between um, private and public partners and the private side are healthcare entities such as um, hospital systems or insurance plans pay into the pool, which is an actual escrow account. um, Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, those entities pay into that or uh, put a, an investment into the escrow account to the pool. Um, the city and the county um, also contribute public funds um, that are geared towards homelessness uh, into this pool as well. And so with this mix of funding, uh, we're able to provide really flexible services and um, expand the definition of folks that we serve. Um, mm-hmm. For example, as a comparison, uh, in uh, non-FHP programs that are also similar to ours in model in terms of supportive housing, um, there, there may be a really strict eligibility criteria based on um, federal funding and things like that. But with our model, because of the flexibility of the funding, we're able to take folks who are maybe literally homeless or doubled up, whereas other programs may not do that. So it um, allows us to serve a, a wider range of people. Okay. From my own understanding, so what would the restrictions in those other programs be that would kind of limit the access? So the federal definition for for most of the programs uh, where, uh, and it's not just Chicago, but um, when HUD, the, the major federal funder, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, mm-hmm. most of the homeless programs throughout the country, um, 
they tend to have a restriction around folks who are chronically homeless, which means somebody had had to live in in a shelter or on the streets or a place not meant for human habitation for at least a, a year straight or uh, four episodes within a three-year time period. And that can be really challenging to document. Those programs require the documentation because of the federal funds. And mm. so a lot of folks don't get into those programs because they they don't have the documentation. A lot of our folks are very transient and, and don't keep a lot of paperwork with them. They can't. Um, and so they're, they're their access to those programs is pretty limited. Um, it definitely, they de- those other programs definitely, you know, uh, uh, house a lot of folks with uh, many challenges, um, but sometimes the eligibility is pretty restrictive. And so the flexible housing pool can take folks who are chronically homeless, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be just somebody, again, uh, doubled up. Uh, maybe they're not in a, the street or their shelter. Um, they're living with a friend, but the friend may kick them out uh, under bad circumstances or something. So, um, so that's kind of the difference between our program and some others. Right. Well, that's really amazing work. I mean, I feel like, and you mentioned this earlier, but when you give people an access to more stable conditions, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that their overall health increases because I imagine the stress that a lot of the people you're working with and supporting is, you know, so based on, okay, well, where am I going to go? Not having that, you know, security. And so having that kind of support, I'm sure really bolsters their lives in so many aspects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our three main goals for our participants in the flexible housing pool are um, to stabilize their housing, um, to increase their income, whether it's through employment, if they are capable or don't have any, you know, barriers blocking them, um, or to get them access to benefits they uh, may be eligible for. And then our third goal um, is to stabilize their health and improve their health outcomes. And um, the flexible housing pool, I believe later this year, we we have a third party evaluation going on. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we're expecting the initial results to be released later this year. But we've modeled ourselves after uh, Los Angeles County, which has, I think, the country's biggest flexible housing pool program. And so we expect to kind of show similar positive results where they reduced um, hospital stays, they reduced ER visits, they reduced um, uh, um, the need for um, mental health crisis intervention services. We expect to kind of see that with our program, and I think the evaluation may show that as well. But anecdotally, we know our folks are remaining housed. Um, uh, we, uh, our housing retention rates at a six-month uh, point is about 99%, which is pretty phenomenal. People stay wow. housed wow. for that six months, but even more so at the 12-month mark, uh, the other mark we look at uh, outcomes, we have about a 96 to 98% uh, rate of folks staying in housing. Mm-hmm. And so when they that level of housing stability, we can do a lot more work to provide um, the needed resources they have, whether it's basic needs like food, um, clothing, um, all the way to um, helping them uh, get jobs or get back into work the workforce um, or go into some workforce development programs, um, but also get needed access to services like mental health care, um, uh, physical primary care health, and other needed services as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that access to healthcare, especially in, you know, housing insecure individuals, you know, immediate access is probably something that has to somewhat be put on the back burner when you have those other uh, predominating needs. So 
I think that it, the comprehensiveness of the program sounds like it looks to, you know, overall for the well-being of the individual bolster their position. And then how many uh, individuals are is FHP uh, supporting? So uh, to date, we've housed over, uh, well over 500 households, um, and uh, that's just the head of households. But if you count um, partners, spouses, and children, we've housed almost 800 people total, um, all the housing placements. And that's all, um, we don't have a standalone building. We work with private market landlords throughout Chicago and the suburbs. Um, so this is all um, our work, but it's also, you know, the community kind of coming together and landlords saying, okay, we'll rent to you and taking a chance with our program and our participants and um, being able to house that many people in uh, a little over three years is pretty phenomenal. Absolutely. That, <laughs> incredible. And to have a 96 to 99% retention rate, even more <laughs> outstanding. What, what steps do you think that Chicago could take, you know, as a community to increase, increase access to this type of support for individuals that are facing these issues? Because I know it's a pervasive problem where I live, you know, an issue where I live. I see so many people that are clearly on hard times. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, you may be aware, um, and hopefully most some folks are aware, there's um, an initiative um, going on called Bring Chicago Home. It's being led by the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, but they're engaging a lot of homeless um, community partners and other um, political partners and allies and such. And um, in a nutshell, the Bring Chicago Home campaign is, is looking at increasing uh, I apologize, I don't know the exact rate, but increasing um, the tax on buildings that are um, being bought or sold that are over a million dollars and putting mm -hmm. a, a very small uh, tax on that and collecting it just for homeless services. And so um, folks kind of voting for that, I think that's it's coming up for a vote um, later this year or early next year. I'm, I apologize, I'm blanking on it. But um, supporting a campaign like that would continue. It, uh, it may not directly fund the flexible housing pool, but it would fund other services similar um, that would do um, uh, evidence-based practices like permanent supportive housing and homeless prevention um, that would help a huge array of people experiencing homelessness, um, quite like you're talking about, you know, folks living under bridges or in encampments. Um, so that's a huge um um, way that people could support uh, for, on a political uh, level. I think um, also just kind of educating yourselves around homelessness, the, um, sure, the issues that folks face and trying to destigmatize who these folks are. Um, you know, we have folks who, um, once we got them housed, they're, they're in school. We have uh, one gentleman in particular who I'm thinking of is a, uh, uh, about to finish his degree. I think he graduates next year and he'll become a social worker and he attributes it all to being housed in the program and having that stability to even go back to get an education. And he wants to get into the field and give back. And so I think, you know, um, sometimes we think of uh, homeless individuals as people who are pretty helpless and hopeless, and that's not the case. You give folks the foundation of housing and I think a, a lot of amazing things can happen. So that kind of success is probably incredibly rewarding to see from your end. Is that, do you see that people that once they get the support, they start to blossom in those other areas? 
Absolutely. And I think um, the thing to keep in mind is, you know, maybe not everybody's going back to school or to work, but everybody flourishes in their own way. Just having the success of um, being able to maintain their own apartment um, and feeling good about that and uh, engaging back into their community. Being, um, a lot of times, uh, one of the most common stories we hear are folks reconnecting with their family and friends. Um, mm. Oftentimes, maybe sometimes because of their mental illness or, or uh, other factors, they are sometimes ostracized by their families or even kicked out in the, in the uh, cases of some of our, our young people. And reconnecting with family and friends is really important to their, their mental health, their social well-being. And so I think that alone is a pretty important factor. And then it allows them to kind of keep moving forward. So. Um, we're really, we look at success in a lot of different ways, but, you know, like I said earlier, the housing stability, the income and uh, health outcomes are our primary uh, drivers of the program, but we do look for successes in, in other ways with our folks. Right. And you mentioned the age and I hadn't thought about that before, but are a lot of uh, individuals that are seeking support of a younger age. So part of the program of the roughly 500 folks we have housed now, um, it's almost split between what we call youth, which are defined as 18 to 24 year olds, and mm. then adults. Um, and most of our adults, uh, I believe the majority are um, 40 or 45 or older. Um, and so we see um, about, um, so half of them being really young and then half being in older um, categories. And so, um, and we tailor the services to the needs of uh, the age group, the populations, um, the needs of the folks. So. Absolutely. And FHP also has a kind of a connection with SCAN. Is that correct? Correct. So SCAN is the, the acronym for the uh, Ser Service Coordination and Navigation Program. Mm -hmm. And it began, I think, a year or two ago, maybe a little bit longer here in the city, and it's a violence reduction program uh, in specific communities in Chicago. And um, they have what they call navigators, which are similar to our case managers. So they have a, a caseload of around 15 people and or 15 young people, and uh, the navigators just try to connect people to services. And with that program, what they were seeing was uh, some of their youth were housing insecure, either, again, living on the street or doubled up. And so um, our city partners connected FHP and SCAN. And so for the past year, our referrals for the youth uh, cohort or the youth side of our FHP program have solely been coming through the SCAN program and mm -hmm. uh, had about 80 uh, referrals that way through the SCAN program. Okay. So that's... That's quite a number. <laughs> That's how many case coordinators do you guys have? Oh gosh, I think we're um, between all of the the uh, the five hundred plus people that we're serving. We have about thirty five case managers, okay. um, and so we try to keep caseloads small for them so that they can really give um, a lot of attention to each of their um, clients on their caseload. So it's about a caseload of anywhere from fifteen to twenty people. Um, and half of our, our youth population um, of our youth cohort are parenting already. Mm -hmm. And so they have young kids themselves. And so uh, we want to make sure that uh, the case managers have a smaller caseload 
uh, with families so that they can provide services, not just for the head of household, but making sure that they're uh, addressing the needs of the entire family, making sure the young ones are getting, you know, um, childcare or the proper nutrition, making sure that if they're school age, that they're getting enrolled in the schools and their communities and such. So we definitely provide, uh, you know, services, not just to the head of household, but to the entire family. Absolutely. And what would you say in terms of short-term and long-term success? What what does that look like in terms of the next few years and then long-term for FHP and then the homelessness issue in Chicago generally? Sure. So, um, you know, I believe the short-term success has been that we've been able to house as many people as as we have in the first, you know, three years of the program. It got off to a slow mm-hmm. start and then, uh, as most programs do, but then the pandemic hit, but we really amped up services and, and coordination last year to get to that uh, 500 plus mark. And so I think that's just been a huge success is proving to the investors that we can house the the folks that they have to refer to us. Um, Long-term, we want to increase um, uh, connections with other sectors. So right now our healthcare partners are our main investors and uh, uh, partners, Um, but we want to kind of branch out to working with maybe um, the criminal justice system because we know a lot Mm -hmm. of folks may be in the system because of their homelessness or uh, the system may have caused their homelessness because of you know not being able to work and such um, being incarcerated and then coming back out in the barriers people with records face in terms of getting jobs and and applying for apartments so um, we actually have in the pipeline a pilot that we're going to be launching um, later this year a reentry program pilot where we're going to be working with the illinois department of corrections um, And we um, got some funding to do this pilot and house about anywhere from 80 to 100 people coming out of the Illinois Department of Corrections who may otherwise be stuck there because they don't have a place to go to. They don't have an address to um, uh, give the the corrections department in terms of where they're being released or they can't get into a program back in the community. So the FHP is going to be providing housing for folks coming out of IDOC later this year. Mm I didn't realize that that was a barrier to release. Was that you need to give them an address of where you go? It could be, yeah. To, for people to get on parole, um, you have to identify an address. And so um, people are staying in the downstate prisons because they don't have a place to parole to. So hmm. this FHP will allow them that opportunity. Absolutely. So in terms of personal uh, success, personal gratification, how, how has this role changed your view on things? So I love the fact that um, the homeless sector um, is not just doing this on their own. I think we had realized for a very long time, but now it's coming to fruition that other sectors need to be um, kind of joining with us to end homelessness because we're serving some of the same people, right? And um, a huge, um, you know, uh, goal of FHP is to stop people cycling in and out of systems overall. And so... um, seeing this come to fruition from uh, having worked in the field for, you know, almost 20 years or over 20 years, I should say, and Mm -hmm. seeing these other sectors really make a a true commitment um, has been just incredible to see. And, and again, with IDOC coming on board, that I think is the next step. And we're hoping to kind of work with the education sector. We're hoping to work with the child welfare sector and, and others that we know folks are experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity and, 
connect all of these pieces together. And that, so this has just been the start of a really gratifying process for me to kind of see things really come to, to be. Mm, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for your work because I think it's incredible what you're doing and I, you know, commend it. It's amazing. Um, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with in terms of what you guys do or how they can get involved? Yeah, um, please visit our website, um, either aidschicago.org or center f- or, or housing and housing and health.org. Um, and, you know, we're, we're always looking for volunteers. We're looking for donations. Um, we're looking for uh, fresh ideas and partners. And, and so we're always uh, engaging the community um, as best we can. So um, that's, those are definitely some ways people can kind of get involved and learn more about FHP. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Bridging Chicago. You can also find us on LinkedIn by searching Bridging Chicago or visiting www.bridgingchicago.com. And be sure to visit housingforhealth.org. Dave, once again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.